Hey, we're live here on the John Riley Project. Welcome. Thanks for joining us. This is episode number 155, and this is a podcast all about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And boy, we've got a great show in, uh, for you here. We're going to get into the death of democracy. Uh, we're going to cover some of the events in Kenosha and in Portland and talk about some new ideas on maybe different perspectives and how we can come to resolution and resolve some of this conflict. We're going to talk about the major league baseball trade deadline and the amazing moves that the Padres make. And, and then if we've got time, I might get into some ideas about addition by subtraction, some interesting things that I've been exploring personally, but Hey, how you doing? You know, thanks for joining us. Um, you know, we were doing these live streams now and, I'm going to start to, I think, get into a little bit of a rhythm right now around two o'clock feels about right. You know, so we're going to try to make it around this time, you know, maybe about three times a week. So I'm going to start kind of working to get into this rhythm. But thanks for all of you for listening and for watching. Um, you know, I the, the greatest line that I saw was someone that posted on Twitter was last night and it was fantastic. And she said, my Twitter feed is a weird mix of the literal death of democracy and hyper excitement over baseball trades. And that's what it was like for me last night. I was there was just so much going on in the world and the Padres just lighting it up with the with their trade deadline moves, which just were so fantastic. So. I want to try to fit both of those into this, you know, less than 60 minute podcast episode for you. But before we get started, I just want to have a shout out, you know, a rest in peace, really, for Georgetown basketball coach uh, John Thompson. I mean, just one of the all time greats. Um, what a legacy he had built there at Georgetown University. I think his son is now there um, coaching, if I recall. But I just remember watching Georgetown in the 1980s with Patrick Ewing and Alonzo Mourning and all these great stars. And um, I saw just recently Allen um, Iverson doing a tribute to um, to John Thompson, saying that he literally saved his life and rescued his career. So that was just really neat. John Thompson, just a very special guy in the world of sports. He passed. And then, of course, um, the other big um, loss was Chadwick Boseman, um, the the fantastic actor that was in the movie Black Panther, um, in the movie 42, where he portrayed Jackie Robinson, also in the movie um, Marshall, where he portrayed a young Thurgood Marshall. I never did see Marshall, but I did see 42, and I did see Black Panther. And, and this was an incredibly young and special talent uh, passed away of colon cancer in his early 40s. It's just amazing. Um, so uh, people were mourning the loss of Chadwick Boseman online all weekend. And um, yeah, that, that one hurt. That one definitely hurt a lot as well. So two great guys have uh, since passed. But let's get into this topic about the so-called death of democracy. And you hear a lot of people shrieking about democracy and and how the institutions of democracy are are falling apart. And there's, you know, uh, unrest in the streets. And that's another sign of democracy eroding across the nation. Well, well, first of all, you know, the United States isn't a democratic country. We don't we aren't a democracy. We're a republic, which means that voters vote, but they vote for representatives to represent them. A democracy in the true sense of a word is where everyone votes on everything, which thankfully we don't have. Um, but we do have a republic. And that means we have a set of laws. And in some cases, laws that are very difficult to overcome, um, you know, just specifically so we can protect the rights of people. Um, so I think that's always important to understand that when people are shrieking about the loss of democracy, like, hey, man, we don't have a democracy in the first place. But but I only bring it up is because that's what that Twitter shriek was about. The death of democracy and the flurry of baseball trades and so much going on in the world. So um, there was an article that I saw recently and it was really good. And it um, was talking about a young mother and her name is Alexis Arnold. And she said that she's sympathetic towards the protesters who have peacefully fought racial injustice this summer. But as some of the demonstrations spiral into violence, her anxiety 
is building. And she says, why are we so broken right now? And I think a lot of us are feeling that, that um, the nation in many ways feels like it's breaking apart. And we're seeing that in an election season. And of course, the politicians are throwing gas on the fire, trying to create larger and larger divisions. Um, you know, we're seeing that both from the right and the left. And yeah, it's, it's troubling. But look at what's happening in Kenosha. I mean, I'm not going to go and break down everything. I mean, there's a lot of people that are going into a lot more detail on Kenosha and on Portland, but I want to just tee up a couple, you know, a list of ideas that are occurring there so we can kind of use that as a jumping off point for how I think we can shift our focus, shift our our common ideas, our philosophy, and look for new ways to approach these problems and solve them. And that's really what I want to get to. But in Kenosha, of course, police brutality, um, where, and frankly, there was a loss of life. Um, you know, another black person was killed by the police. Um, there are riots and property damage in Kenosha. Um, there's vigilante justice, and we're seeing that with, um, uh, what's his name, Kyle? Whoa. Uh, we're seeing that with Kyle Rittenhouse um, that um, uh, is being celebrated as a um, kind of a, 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 in some ways as a representative of what the right wing wants to support. But I lost my train of thought because my phone went off in the middle of this live stream. I should have turned off the volume. Um, but we're also seeing not just vigilante justice in Kenosha. We're seeing gun rights issues. Um, the hero or villain status of Kyle Rittenhouse. Trump is talking about making a visit to Kenosha. And, you know, if he lands Air Force One out there, that's going to create more hysteria, more turmoil. And it's going to make, I think, a festering problem even worse. Um, then you get to Portland. They've had a hundred nights of BLM, Black Lives Matter protests and vandalism to federal and city property. People calling for law and order. There has been a death of a protester um, in Portland. The state police have been sent in. There's some people that want President Trump to send federal troops in to enact the I think it's, it's called the Insurrection Act and to bring you know our own army to fight against its own citizens. Um then you've got Trump supporters that are, you know, really coming in, in some cases, looking for a fight um, because they they're the, the divisions that are so prevalent in society where you have right wing um, groups that are looking for a fight, left wing groups that are looking for a fight, all escalating, all fighting against each other. Um, and it just keeps getting worse and worse in Portland. Um, and. Now cops are using tear gas, and we've, we've been seeing that actually in Washington, D.C., in front of the church when Trump cleared the streets so we can walk across the street with his Bible moment. Um, and then in Portland, they're talking about putting more cops on the street. And then, of course, you know, the African-American communities are upset by that because they already have a bad relationship with the police. And now they're talking about putting more police on the streets. And so you see that it's just turning into a complete cluster of so many competing ideas, competing agendas. There's a lot of conflict and crisscross. Um, there's a lot of um, uh, division. Uh, people have their own agendas. They're not really concerned with the agenda of the other side. And it's creating confusion, frustration, and in some cases, violence. And it's a complete misrepresentation of what this nation is supposed to be all about. You know, about the notion of equal rights and the notion of equality under the law. We're seeing a lot of that break down. And so some people say the death of democracy, in many ways, it's sort of like we're seeing the erosion of the founding values of this nation that truly, in my opinion, make America great. Um, so. I don't want to necessarily go down and, and break down all of the individual policies. I mean, we can do that. But for the most part, it's the ideas that are further upstream from the policies, the philosophies, the the essentially the morality of 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 issues. That's where I think we need to get recentered and refocused. Um, like, for example, like 
Black Lives Matter. I'm that group. They're absolutely right. Black lives, black lives do matter. Um, but when it's spun as Black Lives Matter, I mean, it's another kind of collectivist mindset. When really our nation is founded on individual rights, when we talk, start framing it by different racial categories, it creates a collectivist, collectivist angle, which then creates animosity and group warfare. Um, we're seeing that play out, uh, even though their core ideal that Black Lives Matter is absolutely correct. Um, Protesters have a righteous point, you know, um, their free expression, their exercise of their First Amendment rights. But they're in some cases, some of these protesters are resorting to damage of other people's property. And, you know, we can argue, or is that actually the protesters? Is that anarchists and other people coming in from other communities just to cause mayhem? Well, it's all kind of caught up in the cloud and the and the disarray in these cities. Um, People are demanding that they have gun rights and they do have gun rights. Absolutely. But then people resort to vigilanteism and then that is going to end up in very terrible outcomes. And we saw that play out in the Rittenhouse case. Um, Law and order. People are demanding law and order. I mean, we need law and order in a well-functioning society. There's no question about it, but not when the law and order oppresses minorities, not when the law and order is wrongfully killing people, not when the law and order is oppressing people's First Amendment rights, not when the law and order is violating the rights of others. Um, so and then on top of it, the whole thing is just politicized um, where, you know, Trump is pushing buttons and Biden is pushing, pushing buttons. And in many ways, this is playing out as a proxy battle for the upcoming presidential election. So the whole thing is just a mess. And there is no silver bullet. There is no singular solution. It's almost like a case of whack-a-mole. It's like you try to solve one part of the problem and then other parts of the problem become inflamed and grow larger. Um, And so I'm of the opinion that we have to take a step back and begin asking ourselves some really important questions. Um, Really, what does the United States of America represent? What are the core ideals of this nation? And how did we get so terribly off base? Um, We need to have a coming together of like minds, like thinking, similar philosophies. Um, And I think if we can get to that point, then a lot of this friction and violence and anger and frustration, a lot of that will melt away. But we just have to get to that point. And so, like, for example, we have to start talking about what the role of the police is. And I think this is a really important conversation. You know, on many police cars, it says to protect and to serve. But in many cases, the police aren't doing that. They're not necessarily protecting and serving. Many police officers are often looking for ways to arrest people. They're out there enforcing a list of laws that is like infinite long. That's a mile long list of laws that they're being asked to enforce. In some cases, they're killing people instead of protecting and serving them. And, um, We need to begin to ask ourselves, what position are we putting our police in? Um, If we can reorient the way police acts, and a lot of people are talking about defunding the police. Now, of course, defunding the police doesn't mean reducing it to zero, but asking serious questions about how we prioritize police funding in relation to other aspects of government and other services that are provided in the community. Those are fair questions to ask, but the police, in my opinion, when they are dealing with a um, a potential suspect, a suspect that maybe they're armed, but maybe they're only armed with a knife. Um, maybe they're armed, but we don't the police don't necessarily always have to be shooting to kill. We need police to be able to use other techniques to subdue these suspects, you know, whether it's martial arts or tackling or whatever it is. There are ways that. Some of some of these people that the police believe are important to arrest and we can debate how important that really is. But if they are a legitimate suspect, there have to be ways to subdue them without killing them, because once 
I mean, essentially, the police are supposed to protect, not violate the rights of the people in the first place. The police are supposed to ensure that there's due process, not to be the judge, the jury, all in one swoop at the point of a gun. So we really need to begin to ask ourselves, what is the role of the police? And then really, what is the role of government? Um, In the Declaration of Independence, it says that the role of government is to secure our inalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. What does that mean? Well, it means that we have a right to our own life, a right to manage our life, that we own our life. We are not the subjects of a king. Um, We have liberty to make our own choices and, and to ultimately live our life according to our own values to essentially pursue our happiness. We have the right to be free as long as we are not violating the rights of others around us. Um, But instead, what's happening is, is that police killings are violating the very rights that they are supposed to secure. If the role of government is to secure our right of life, then why is the police, why are the police taking people's lives in the first place? So, Again, the role of police has to be really seriously questioned. But and then you take it a step further right now with so many political agendas, the police are entirely too empowered. That's why we had the no knock raid that ended up in the death of Breonna Taylor, where um, a person was innocent. They were in they were She was in, 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 in bed, I think, you know, and the police knocked down the door all guns ablazing, um, looking for a suspect. Turned out they were in the wrong house. Um, the suspect or the su- supposed suspect and actually an innocent party grabbed a gun thinking there were people invading his home. You know, this sort of notion of a man's house is his castle. He was trying to defend himself and his girlfriend, Brianna, and ended up a gun, f- uh, a gun battle went off and, and Brianna Taylor is dead. Someone totally innocent because the police, instead of protecting and serving, instead of securing their right to life, their right to liberty and their right to pursue happiness, the police was doing the exact opposite. Barging indoors, violating people's privacy, guns ablazing, taking the lives of innocent people. The police are, in my opinion, far too empowered. And a lot of it's driven by a war on drugs. A lot of it's driven by a war on immigrants. A lot of it comes from police militarization. It's the whole mindset. And then even checkpoints are set up. And, you know, a lot of people think checkpoints are good things because we want to get drunk drivers off the streets. And I get that. But checkpoints have turned into far larger things where people's papers are being um, inspected and it it becomes essentially guilty until proven innocent in a lot of these checkpoints. But it becomes a case where the police are entirely too empowered, which then creates all of these conflicts and friction and anger in society that ends up being that flare that flares up. And that's what we're seeing in a lot of these um, communities of color. Um, property crimes, we're seeing that from, you know, the protesters are, are, are causing property crimes. And in other cases, anarchists and people that just want to cause trouble are creating property crimes. A property crime is is ultimately something that the police should be protecting. You know, if people's homes or cars or other possessions are being destroyed and vandalized and in some cases torn down to the ground, the police need to protect that. Um, and it's rightful for police to prosecute those kinds of criminals. Um, so you see on some cases the police are going too far. In some cases, the people are going too far, whether they're protesters or or anarchists or troublemakers. Um, but neither one of them wants to stay in their lane. They want to cause trouble for the other side. And that, again, just keeps escalating and inflating the friction. Um, I'm, I, I think I'd like to go back to certain ideals that I think are important. I think we all should be equal under the law. Um, and we all should be treated the same by the law. But in order to get to that place, you have to understand that not only do you have a right to your own life, your own liberty, and your own pursuit of happiness, but so does the other guy. So does your neighbor. So does the other guy in the city next door. So does Brianna Taylor. You know, so does um, uh, 
Jacob Blake in Kenosha. He has rights too. He has inalienable right of his own life and liberty and pursuit of happiness. And people might say, oh, well, he's a bad character. He's done these things in the past. Um, he had a knife on him, but he still has those rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And those rights still need to be respected. Just because you committed past crimes and paid your debt to society doesn't mean that you aren't entitled to have the same rights that you did before you committed that crime. So we have to get to a point where I think we understand that other people have rights too. But it's, it's you, you can tell it's just a terrible a terrible representation of our criminal justice system when black families have to have the talk with um, their young ones um, and to teach them how to behave in front of the police. I mean, that's a talk that I never received, but when a parent has to tell their child that when you are ever pulled over by the police and you will, it needs to be yes, sir, no, sir. And there can be no, pushback, no response. Yeah. Just follow their instructions. When it gets to that point, you know, we've got a problem because not only is the, is the law being enforced differently in different communities, in some cases, because of wealth, in some cases, because of race, in some cases, for any other number of reasons, the law is not being applied equally. But if some people are suffering because the law is being persecuted more severely for them than others, then, you know, we have a problem. And if parents have to teach their children to respond differently, you know, we have a problem. Um, I think we also have to get to a point where we get beyond the idea of group rights, you know, black rights, gay rights, women's rights. Um, we, we just need to get to the point of equal rights because then we're going to come together. We're, then we're going to come together under a common philosophy that we can all respect one another because we all have equal rights. But if we start talking about this group has rights and that group has rights, then other groups are going to demand rights. And then suddenly it becomes a conflict between groups. We have to get beyond that. And I understand why Black Lives Matter makes sense. Black lives do matter. Black lives have been persecuted under the law unfairly. Black lives are being, uh, are, are being lost at the hands of the police. But at the same time, we have to get beyond this. It's, it's a shame that when someone says all lives matter, that they're persecuted because all lives do matter. And we all have a right to our own life and our own liberty and pursuit of happiness. And it's the job of the government to secure our own right to our own life. So all lives do matter. But when we start framing it on racial basis, it just creates conflict. And again, I get why people are doing it now. I get why the Black Lives Matter message is relevant and important. But um, we have to get beyond it very quickly uh, to a point where we are we all have equal rights, because that is the place where we're going to find harmony and we're going to find cooperation and we're going to have the best shot of eliminating this violence and conflict and getting to a peaceful place. Um, and then our politicians, <laughs> when we see politicians throwing gas on the fire, creating more separation and more division, we've got to go after them, too, and not keep rewarding them with our votes. And so when we see Trump or Biden or whomever um, trying to escalate the conflict, um, you know, again, like Trump's you know, talking down the, the police in Portland and demanding that federal troops go in, I mean, we're seeing a lot of these cases of where the politicians will inflame the situation and they do it to their own advantage. They win when they divide us. That's why we have to come to a unifying common philosophy as fast as possible. Uh, because as long as we remain divided, we become pawns in their game and then they manipulate it to our disadvantage. Um, Yeah. And like, look at the protesters. They have a right 
to their free expression. But the guy down the street that owns a business, he has a right to his own business, his business not to be harmed or damaged. We all have rights and we need to respect one another's rights. That's another way to think of it is, is that rather than saying, I have my rights, damn it, we should be thinking that everyone else has rights too. We just can't violate the rights of others. And if we have that mindset, then we can all kind of exist in, a, in an equilibrium state where we're not going to be bouncing into people and harming other people as we demand our own rights at the expense of others. We have to be thinking in terms of equal rights. And I think that's when we're going to get to a point where we're going to see less racial division. We're going to see, um, we're going to see less conflict with police. Um, we're going to get into a much better place when we demand equality under the law. Um, yeah. So I'm as far as Kenosha and Portland are concerned, I'm not f- following those cases in detail. I'm kind of observing it from the periphery. I kind of have an idea of what's happening, but I know there's people that are going way deep on it and they're defending this guy. And, and again, the whole Kyle Rittenhouse thing, there's people that think he's a villain and other people are making him out to be a hero. And it's incredible how it's being spun in all these different ways. Um, I'm trying not to get caught up in that conflict at that level. Cause I think if we can reorient our ideas to the notion of, um, equality under the law, equal rights, individual rights rather than group rights. I think we're going to get to a better place. Okay, um, moving along. First of all, I just want to say thanks for, again for listening. Thanks for watching. You know, we're on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. We're on almost every popular podcast platform, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify. And, of course, we're on YouTube. We're on Facebook. We're doing the live stream on both of those platforms. I'm hoping to add Periscope soon, and maybe we'll start popping up on Twitter. So trying to make this a regular thing, doing the, the, the live uh, streaming here. We usually get the recorded version up online later later in the day, maybe sometimes early the following day. Um, so would be really help, helpful for me. And if you could offer your support and the way you can do it is to like the broadcast, to like the post, uh, because when you do, it's not just stroking my ego. That's not why I'm asking for this. It just helps in the algorithm. Um, it helps us gain a, a bigger audience, the more people that support what we're doing. So I encourage you to, to like the posts to follow us and subscribe on any of the podcast platforms. If you're watching on YouTube, there's a red button below. You can subscribe there. And the more people that subscribe, the more often we are um, presented as a, as a recommended video on YouTube. Um, so that's a great way that you can be really helpful. And then of course, share this with your friends, your family, your neighbors, if you think this is valuable, um, you know, cause we get into, um, you know, current news, um, culture, politics at the national level, at the local level. And we talk about sports and a bunch of other topics and like to have a little bit of fun with it. So if you like what we're doing, by all means, please like, subscribe and share. That'd be really helpful. Um, a couple other programming notes um, on Wednesday of this week, Wednesday, September 2nd, we are going to have Poway City Council candidate Frank Fournier will be joining us at two o'clock on Wednesday. And this is sort of a makeup because we tried to do the live stream a, a week and a half ago and I had a complete cluster with getting my um, live stream camera to work properly. It had been sort of hit and miss. And that night it was definitely a miss. And I've since moved my podcast studio here into my office so I can have a direct Ethernet connection. And I think I'm in a much better place now for live streaming. So Frank Fournier is going to join us. Um, he's the city council candidate in District 4 in the city of Poway. And I know there's a lot of people here in my local city that are very interested in learning more about him. And then on Monday, September 7th, also at 2 p.m., and we're going to try to get into this Monday, Wednesday, Friday at 2 rhythm. That's my goal. Hoping I can pull this off. Uh, but definitely Monday the 7th, at 2 p.m. 
we'll have Phil Factor will be rejoining uh, the podcast and talking about his uh, campaign in District 2 in Poway. And we'll learn a little bit more about what Phil Factor is up to. So um, those are two podcasts that are going to be coming up very shortly and we'll be live streaming those. Um, and then, of course, as we do the live stream, you can always ask questions. Uh, feel free to drop a question in the Facebook or YouTube comments. They'll pop up on my screen and I'll be happy to answer questions or or discuss some of the items that you're bringing to the table. So that's the other point of why I want to do these live streams is that I want to make it interactive rather than me you know, doing my podcast, recording it and posting it. The whole idea of doing it live is kind of exciting, but at the same time, doing it live gives you an opportunity to engage. It gives you an opportunity to sound off. It gives you an opportunity to express your opinion and have a take and share that. Because when you do, I will read it back on the air in my podcast and offer my comments and answers to the points that you make. Okay, now uh, let's get into Major League Baseball trade deadline is today, and I'm not sure what time does it physically. I think it might have ended at 12 noon Pacific, um, but my God, the Padres just lit it up, and it was so awesome to see. It was like back when in 2015 when um, rock star general manager A.J. Preller rebuilt the whole roster. Um, we've seen a similar remaking, but a much more intelligent approach that I think is really positioning the Padres to be very, very successful. Um, just to break it down, um, the Padres traded away a legit prospect in Edward Olivares to get uh, a great reliever in Trevor Rosenthal. The Padres traded away Hudson Potts, who's a third baseman who's blocked by Manny Machado at third and who's going to be a rule five guy that they're going to have to put on the 40 man roster or get rid of. Um, they're giving up on him. And then Jason Rosario, another rule five guy um, they're getting rid of them to make room for Mitch Moreland, a designated hitter from the Boston Red Sox, a first class guy, a great character guy, a community guy, a guy that is a fantastic player, a hitter, um, a great defender, and a, a guy with fantastic uh, World Series experience. So a huge addition to the team with Mitch Moreland. Um, Padres picked up a journeyman catcher, um, Jason Castro, uh, for Gerardo Reyes, who really wasn't a fit on the roster. Um, he was always struggling when he was at the major league level. And then the big trade with Seattle. The Padres getting Austin Nola, a fantastic hitting catcher. Um, Austin Adams, who it looks to be a very good reliever. Um, he's coming off of an injury of a torn ACL, and he should be ready anytime now. Um, and Dan Altavia, who is just kind of a you know a throw-in reliever. But they had to give up Taylor Trammell, a really exciting young prospect who is a lot less valuable than he was probably when they picked him up. Um, Ty France, you know, the Aztec, um, but a first baseman, third baseman, kind of a bad fit on the Padres when you've got Eric Hosmer and Manny Machado. They gave up on Luis Torrens, kind of a third string catcher, not a big loss. And then Andres Munoz went in that deal, a very exciting young reliever, but just had Tommy John surgery and probably isn't going to be back uh, for at least a year. So um, that was an interesting trade. I thought someone summarized it pretty, pretty well that, um, if you look at it, Dan Altavia and Luis Torrens are kind of non-factors in the trade. And then you figure you got Andres Munoz and Austin Adams, both good relievers, both coming off injuries. So they're sort of a wash. So that trade really comes down to Taylor Trammell and Ty France for the catcher, Austin Nola. And would you do that deal? And in my opinion, I do that deal in a heartbeat. Um, so it's great to get Austin Nola on the team. And then this morning, the huge deal with the Cleveland Indians, the Padres getting Mike Clevenger, one of the best starting pitchers in all of baseball, uh, joining the team um, with uh, Greg Allen, who is actually another former Aztec and outfielder who could be, I think, a good defensive replacement, a good base runner, and potentially, you know, a guy that can hit, who I think is having a little bit of a down year at the plate. But really, this deal is all about Clevenger. We're also going to get a player to be named Lair, 
But who did we give up? We gave up Josh Naylor, who, again, is a bad fit, really a DH or a first baseman, but never really kind of got into a groove with the Padres and never really was a good fit on the roster, never really showed great plate discipline, which is part of the whole philosophy that the Padres are putting forward. Uh, We gave up on Cal Quantrill, a a good pitcher, but really still not a starter, mostly a reliever, um, but done, had done very well in that role. Um, Gabriel Arias, a, a great shortstop, is, was given up, but a guy that, again, blocked by Fernando Tatis, likely never going to play for the Padres, and a Rule 5 guy that the Padres are going to have to add to their roster or let go. So they're getting value before the Rule 5 deadline comes in later this autumn. Um, Austin Hedges went in the deal. Great guy, great receiver, great defender, but dude can't hit. And I think they've given him every opportunity in the world to produce. They had to move on from Austin Hedges. Um, Joey Cantillo, a young left-handed pitcher who seems like a legitimate prospect, but still way down at the single A level. And then, and then Owen Miller was also lost in the deal, a legit prospect, but really more of a utility guy. And where are you going to play utility on the Padres infield when you've got Hosmer, Machado, Tatis, and then the Jake Cronenworth phenomenon, there's nowhere for Owen Miller to play on this team either. So I think that deal worked out really well. I mean, they gave up a lot of guys, but a lot of these guys just really weren't that great of a fit. So when it all shakes out, they received nine players in these five deals that they did. They got an ace starter, an elite designated hitter, and the best hitting catcher in Major League Baseball, better than JT Realmoto. I mean, they, in those three positions, they they solved huge weaknesses on their roster by getting another starter, an ace, a number one, by getting a fantastic designated hitter. So we're not rotating guys through, uh, but we're getting an elite hitter. And then the best hitting catcher when our catching has been a black hole of non-performance. Um and then we ended up getting also a high-quality closer in Rosenthal, um, a potentially great bullpen guy in Adams, and then a safety net guy as a catcher in Castro. And none of these guys have huge salaries, which makes it so much fantastic because we're not giving up um, all these young guys in order to get expensive um, major league talent because right now with the whole COVID situation, the Padres are losing money. They're going to probably lose money next year. They can't take on huge salary. So this actually works out really well. It's very cleverly done. And Clevenger is at a, I think I checked his salary is only 4 million, but for the quality of pitcher that he is, that's a bargain and he's controllable for at least a couple of more years. So the Padres are in a really sweet position, not just for this season, but positioned into the future. Um, you know, even the catcher, uh, um, Austin Nola is controllable through 2025. Uh, Mitch Moreland, they have an option next year at a relatively modest salary. So financially, business-wise, this trade works. And who did they give up? Four guys that were bad fits on the team. Three guys that were Rule 5 guys that were probably going to be lost in um, this winter. And on top of it, they were blocked by quality major league talent. Um, There were two legit players that went in these deals, um, two legit prospects, an injured pitcher, a third string catcher, and a fading high prospect that they could cash in on. So they gave up a lot of guys, but every one of them was sort of an oddball candidate except for a few, but the return they got was enormous. So, I mean, I'm saying, man, AJ Preller living back up to the rock star GM uh, label, AJ Preller for president in 2020 is what we need. I mean, the dude just really played this well. Um, I'm really impressed. You know, granted I've been a Padre fan for a very long time going on um, over 30 years and I've, suffered. Um, but when he came in, he he rebuilt the farm system, amassed a tremendous amount of talent, basically reset the farm system, um, just kept accumulating poker chips and, and pieces that he can play in these deals. And now the Padre is performing at a really great level. And now is the time to cash in. And he made some fantastic deals here. So I think he's done great. Now, I do worry about the chemistry of the team. Um, You know, they're losing some players. They got new players coming in. 
the good news is, is that there's a lot of minor league guys that are in this, in these deals. So it's probably not going to upset the roster too much. Most of the guys coming over seem to be a one characters like Moreland and like Nola, but Clevenger, you know, pissed off a lot of people with the Indians because he violated the COVID protocols and put his teammates at risk and really, really angered his teammates. So hopefully the Padres will be able to handle him properly. Hopefully Clevenger learned a lesson um, because he was, you know, jettisoned out of the Indians after he did that. Hopefully the chemistry is going to work because I think the ball players on the team, they want to win. They're getting upgrades at all of their weaknesses. Uh, all the weak spots are getting upgraded. I think they're going to be embracing this, these new guys and that we're all going to see them all tonight um, at the game against Colorado that I think starts at, is it 640? I'm not sure. I have to double check, but they're going to be playing tonight. And I'm just anxious to see how this all turns out. Um, and then the Padres still have a great farm system. They still have Gore, Abrams, Patino, Campusano, Hassel, Morahone, Weathers, Wilcox. They're still loaded. They're still the number two team in uh, the number two farm system in Major League Baseball. And then the and then uh, this is incredible. I was looking at this these stats. The starting lineup tonight is insane what this is going to be. I mean, this is a projection of what people think it's going to be. We have Grisham leading off with an 842 OPS. And OPS is um, on-base percentage plus slugging percentage. And so basically, if you're around 750, that's considered average. Um, If you're above 850, that's good. If you're above 900, that's great. If you're over 1,000, that's fantastic. So Grisham at 842, Tatis at 1052, Machado at 1005, just got a back-to-back player of the week in the National League. So Machado on fire. Hosmer with an OPS of 910. Moreland, the new guy we got, with an OPS of 1177. Unbelievable. Cronenworth with an OPS of 1,035. Myers with a 957 OPS. Nola, the hitting catcher we got with a 904, replacing Hedges that was probably barely above 500. And then Profar at .668. So there are one, two, three, four guys with an OPS over 1,000. Three other guys with OPSs over 900. And then um, one dude that's like in the 800s. This is insane. This roster is loaded, and they're going to be so fun to watch. I mean, they scored, what was it, 13 runs yesterday in Colorado. This offense is like a murderer's row, and they play for the San Diego Padres. Can you believe it? And then they just got an ace starter. So this is all just setting up nicely. But, again, here we go. Wouldn't it be like the San Diego sports curse to build this great team, go into the playoffs, and then either A – have the playoffs canceled because of COVID, like what happened to the Aztecs in the spring when the NCAA tournament was canceled because of COVID when they had a great team. That's a possibility for the for the um, Padres. Or this might just be the one year they win it all, and then no one will give us credit because it was the COVID season that didn't really count. So <laughs> it's funny how this all sets up, but at least for at least the Padres, it's not like 1998 where it was only one year. They're they're set up nicely for the next three, four, five years and beyond. So this it's just so amazing how much things have changed for the for the positive. But um, yeah, this was another post by someone on Twitter that I thought was helpful to understand the deal is the Padres have a numerical motivation to trade prospects for veterans and streamline what is going to become a very crowded 40 man roster as minor leagues approach their protection years. So they had to do essentially some addition by subtraction. They had to consolidate and take some B-level talent and convert it into A-level talent. They had to do essentially a bunch of two-for-ones or in some cases a six-for-three or a or a, or a five for three. They had to do that to, in order to make the roster work after this off season. So it made sense. So I'm just, as you can tell, I'm fired up. Uh, 
on how the Padres uh, did on this trade deadline. And so tonight will be, um, I think, the first game that we're going to see with some of these new players. For sure, we're going to see a new catcher. For sure, we're going to see a new designated hitter. Um, and and we're going to see um, how it plays out after that. So I'm fired up. And I hope you are if you're a San Diego sports fan. Um, okay, so we're like 44 minutes into this. So I, I do want to talk a little bit about, um, the, again, this idea of addition by subtraction. And uh, but before I do, just one more time, just want to shout out. It'd be really helpful if you're out there, if you can like, subscribe, and share this podcast. Always fantastic. Always a great way to help us out. Um, over the weekend, man, I I did some good things. So I'm back on my kick of addition by subtraction. Um, in the garage, purging things, unloading things finding old files of paperwork that I no longer need because they're not, they're unnecessary for a record keeping purposes because they're, they're well over 10 years old, purging a lot of that, making trips to the goodwill. I made um, one huge trip to the goodwill over the weekend. Um, I'm telling you that process is so fantastic. I get into these modes every once in a while where I do addition by subtraction and it's so gratifying. It's so fulfilling it simplifies your life. And you can see this in so many categories of life. And for me, like I said, just cleansing in general is good. Um, but even I think in politics, you know, I've talked a lot about um, how the police are empowered because they have to enforce so many laws. Imagine if we had less laws. Now, granted, you want to have the important laws, you know, to protect people against theft and murder and assault and fraud. Those are rightful laws. But a lot of laws that are on the books don't need to be on the books. I mean, marijuana should not be criminalized. I mean, we can go on down the list of a lot of laws that don't need to be on the books. Um, and imagine if those were removed, we would have addition by subtraction. Um, and I think depending on your political persuasion uh, going into this election season, um, there's a lot of people that are voting for Biden not because they like Biden, but because they don't like Trump. And for them, removing Trump would be addition by subtraction. Um, interesting to think of it that way in political terms. Um, losing weight, another great way to have addition by subtraction. That's something I'm working on. Um, people in your life. Um, I made some decisions probably about 10 years ago um, where I subtracted certain people in my life. And I'm better off for it. Um, there are less, there's less stress, less conflict. Um, it simplified things. It calmed my mind. Addition by subtraction. Very powerful. And of course, imagine now with COVID. Imagine if we get rid of the virus. Addition by subtraction. Um, the Padres did exactly that. The Padres cleaned house um, on a lot of these prospects that were highly rated but weren't really good fits for the roster. Um, they might've been highly rated, but they had to be protected in the rule five draft. And they were still too young to do that. They were able to convert this, these excess assets into higher quality um, players. Now it's interesting because when you do addition by subtraction, sometimes the problem is, or maybe the good thing is that addition happened before before you started doing the subtraction. In the case of the Padres, they had to add value. They had to create more assets that they could then in turn flip and trade and do these addition by subtraction deals. That's true in our regular life too. Um, a lot of times we have to build things in our life. There is a building process, but at some point you've got to be able to flip that and subtract and simplify. Um, oftentimes less is more. And I know that's true for me. I know sometimes I can have too many things going on in my world. And when I can subtract certain things, when I can decide that's no longer a priority, I'm not going to do it. Or those clothes in my closet that I've only worn once in the last 10 months, I can get rid of those addition by subtraction. So I'm on this kick right now. I'm just like looking everywhere for things that I can purge, things that I can give away, things that I can throw away. Um, and I, 
I'm taking great joy in this. And so I'm hoping that maybe this could be helpful for you. Um, in the end, quality over quantity. Sometimes we just have too much shit, <laughs> too many things, too much physical things that we haul around from one place to the next. Um, yeah. So what, what did they, what was, I did that in an earlier podcast. What do they call it? The Swedish death cleaning <laughs> is that what someone else called it. Um, where older people are purging things. So their children don't inherit a mess. Um, you know, when they pass on, it's kind of a gruesome way to think of it, but, um, but even for me in my fifties, it's a good thing to purge and to cleanse. And so I hope that you're able to do that as well and to see that for the value that it is. Um, okay. So um, if you'd like to continue the conversation, you can always join me on Facebook, on Twitter, um, visit my website, johnreillyproject.com. There's all the links to my social media uh, platforms, johnreillyproject.com slash connect is where all those social media platforms are. You can get on our mailing list. Um, you can subscribe to the podcast and get updates when we do new episodes. Uh, so really encourage you to continue the conversation with me there. Um, and then just to close out, um, and thanks again for everyone that's listening and watching, just to close out with a closing quote. And this is from Doug Cooper. He's an author. And he said, we improve the quality of what we are doing by reducing the quantity of what we shouldn't be doing. That's very powerful. It's, I remember someone telling me once before, you know, we all make to-do lists of all the things we got to get done, the things we got to do. But sometimes we need a stop doing list of the things that we just need to forget about. We need to stop doing their time sucks. They're, they're low priority. They're things that we do that we think matter to other people, but they really don't matter to other people. Um, we need to be looking for ways to eliminate things in our life so we can simplify our life and focus on what's important. And we can only focus on what's important is if we clear time and clear energy so we can spend that time and energy on what's important. So yeah, we improve the quality of what we are doing by reducing the quantity of what we shouldn't be doing. So Next time we do one of these podcasts, I will turn off the ringer on my phone. So I'm not shocked by it when it started up. It freaked me out. So um, thanks again for listening. Thanks for watching. Thanks for enjoying the excitement of a live stream and all the crazy things that can happen. Um, and we'll be back at you on Wednesday, September 2nd at 2 p.m. Frank Fournier, uh, a candidate for Poway City Council in District 4, will be joining us. And we're going to learn all about his campaign platform, the reasons he's running for office, and kind of how he sees Poway and what his vision is for Poway in the future. I think it's going to be a great conversation. So please join us Wednesday, September 2nd at 2 p.m. Until then, this is the John Riley Project. This is episode number 155. Thanks for listening and thanks for watching. Have a great day, friends. Bye-bye.